Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this narration of the web series Solo Apocalypse. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 39 I was a survivor. The apocalypse had killed me countless times. It had taken things from me. My peace of mind, my ignorance of hardship. It stole my illusion of potential happiness. It had stripped every layer of my moral, my mind, and my body. Challenged me with unbearable torment, pain, and agony. It had broken me, thrown me the pieces, and demanded I make something of myself or die. I whispered to myself, You've already decided, Evan. I said, Never again. And all of me moved. I stood, the original, beside Rose and an unconscious Rickson, and the rest of me charged forward. We would fight here. Parker's strength was incredible. He matched the thing for a glorious moment, a moment against a van-sized beam. It wasn't just the stats, but whatever effect of his skill, too. Then it found purchase and roared as sheer weight of its body, enough to throw him off. Six retrieved the Twilight Saber from Eighth, looking at him, looking me. I nodded to myself, both ways. He was dying, bleeding eternally from a punctured lung, wheezing. I felt it all. He had a perfect view of the beast. That was for the best. That was all I needed. Heaven, you're supposed to be running, Parky yelled, eyes bulging once he saw me, all three of me, sixth, seventh, and ninth, rushing forward. The beast roared and he was thrown into a roll, kicking up dirt and soil. His head swung to glare at me. Get the hell out of here, he yelled. Escape with Rose and Rickson. With your clones, you could... I didn't stop running. Didn't pause. You don't get to sacrifice yourself here, Parker. You don't decide that, I yelled at him. Dashed forward, my face a mixture of rage and focus, a dichotomy. Whichever clone it was, he grinned. I'm the better sacrifice anyway. I felt the limb before it even manifested, a partial form change. A second prehensile whipping at me. I caught its arc, severing the thing. The creature roared, moonlight blood pouring from its open wound. I slashed again, finding the soft flesh between its armored plates. The other clones harried it, distracting. They created opening, dancing between its attacks, dodging what only another clone could see. We're all getting out of here, alive, I growled, pacing. Three of me circling like vultures. Parker groaned, getting up. His clothes were torn from debris, and though it looked superficial, he was still bleeding. Then get behind me, dammit! The creature reared, charged, and its head was forced to the ground by a blast of fire. Rickson and I did not slay for two whole days just for you to throw your lives away. Rose stood at a distance, eyes somehow burning brighter than her fire. She staggered, but Six was there, helping her. Anger momentarily burned away whatever fatigue she'd built up. There's a shield! Firebolt! And a wayward ghost evaporated in a plume of fire. Rose! Parker grimaced. Someone needs to take Rickson! He punched another twilight wraith, vaporizing it. I can't, Parker! She said, that dead, tired exhaustion making itself known. She was breathless, just from talking. We're caught! We can't run from this thing! Look where that got us! We make a stand here, or die trying! I stood near her, guarding Rickson. It was true. We couldn't move at this pace safely, and to slow down would be to die. There were ready creatures inching up. I had killed another two Ifrits, shadow dancing at the edges of the tree line, eyeing Rickson. Parker didn't respond. 
He couldn't. He dodged the battering ram that was the beast. Ape saw him pivot, turn, and watch his entire arm blur. Power strike! The twilight beast lurched, and I was already moving into a blind spot, dodging every patch of soil I felt dangerously within its reach. A clone distracted another spike limb, ducking under the fatal point. Another supported Parker, acting as bait, and my sword tasted blood again, plunging into its flank, away from its armored plates. Non-lethal, but damaged nonetheless. Silver light built up again, blinding. Parker slammed into the beast, heedless of the danger, and its focus faltered. Silver moonlight dissipating, he drove his fist into its gut repeatedly, every strike eliciting pained roars. The clones flitted about like annoying flies. There were places of soft moonlight flesh. I couldn't tell if my fists had any effect on the creature, but when given the opportunity, I took the chance. Not as effective as my twilight saber, but enough to serve as a distraction. I stabbed it again and again. Silver liquid leaked, spreading across the floor like a mercury pool, shining blood, staining our clothes, painting us in moonlight gore. Parker accelerated for just bare moments to match the beast's overwhelming strength. I danced between its blind spots, using my enhanced perception and instinct, finding every opening made, drawing blood more and more. Even then, it took its bound of flesh. Its shifting was somehow limited, maybe from its own injuries, maybe from us occupying its focus. Still, it had enough leeway for potential lethal counters, let alone its sheer mass. A barbed spike to the shoulder, a serrated section of its flesh, sharp plates, the blunt end of its tail. Parker and I suffered them all. Sometimes a flash of some shimmering barrier would spare us the wound, sometimes not. We didn't stop. We couldn't. My clones tired. Slowing. But I felt Rose's lesser shield upon me, blunting sharp edges of wood-drawn blood, mitigating damage that I should have taken. A cracked bone instead of a broken one, a small cut instead of gored flesh. And if ever it had a moment to rest, a firebolt exploded against its face. The clones fell into a rhythm. No. Oh. They were consumed by it. Fatigue, injury, focus. Their mind had only the capacity for one thing. My clones were marionettes, puppeted by instinct, by a watcher at the tree line with an overview of the entire fight. I had my own problems to deal with, defending both Rose and Rickson, creatures of twilight, dawn and dusk, inching at the perimeter of light, waiting like scavengers, sometimes fighting their own. The clones didn't bother with them. Anything that inched too close would catch fire, bursting into flame. Rose's work. I watched from the sidelines, dealing with most confidence of them, trying to sneak up on Rose. Six and seventh had their own bloodbath, taking bare fists and body against the elemental, fighting in tandem, keeping the twilight elemental within their vision as much as possible. Eighth, dying, watching from the opposite end of the battlefield. This battle consumed me, if only that part of me. The clones pushed their physical capabilities to the limit. Minds in overdrive, watching everything, understanding the flow of battle, aware of everything, living on the very edge of their lives. I slashed, stabbed, hacked, plunged, and tore at the beast, mechanical, yet somehow artful, the way my blade was coated in the moonlight, the way my body was, the splatter upon Parker's place, the flowers blossoming from the liquid life. I moved without fear of death, only aware of its consequence. A false mechanism. They, I, knew I could die. 
that fear, that knowledge, brought my focus to a race's edge. And yet, I died so many times, I balanced upon the edge of mastery beyond what anyone could hope to match. Another power strike, another roar, this time from Parker. Something cracked, snapped, a rib, a piece of moonlight, shattered. And the noise of agony elicited from the beast was all too familiar. I'd screamed at myself countless times. The clones focused on its bruised areas, where the twilight body dimmed, relentlessly striking it whenever the chance arose. It struggled to move at this point. We all did. Parker's chest rose like a piston, heavy, fast. Steam came off of him, the pale rays of moonlight shining down, reflective on the blood covering us. The fatigue threatened to collapse my clones. I was breathing just as hard, grasping in the end, fighting off the rest of the sleepy wood with my bare fists and stats. I realized the creature had shrunk somehow. Its blood, that liquid moonlight, had been a leak in the balloon. It was made of moonlight and twilight, and it had been bleeding ever since the first stab. Parts of it were now dim, like broken, smoky glass, darkened and dull beyond recognition of the light or relief of shadow. Brittle. Its death wasn't climactic. It was slow bleed, a drawn-out thing. It fighting it, we were forced to retreat, reposition, and move. It felt neither victorious nor triumphant once Parker stomped on its head, ending the beast in a visceral splash of shattered light. There was only a sense of relief and irony once we realized the stone formations nearby were familiar. The exit. We had fought all the way here, somehow. Rose was collapsed against the stone, Rickson unconscious nearby but unharmed. Parker and my exhausted selves stood, catching our breath, watching flowers bloom, drinking in the moonlight. A cool breeze caressed us, like a comb of wind through the woods. A deep exhale of the sleep wood. The dungeon notices came like an afterthought, a hysterical aside, a polite, unobtrusive reminder of rewards merited for simply surviving. As if simply existing in this world warranted praise. A mark of this twist thing I knew as reality. Dungeon notice for defeating an area boss, Twilight Elemental. Your group is rewarded for unusual chests. Dungeon notice. Congratulations, you are the first group to explore the Sleepy Wood. All unusual chest rewards have been upgraded to scarce Twilight chests. I raised my head. A part of me registered it was over. Notice you have leveled up multiple times. Level 25. Eventually, I found myself walking to one of the chests, utterly exhausted. Parker? Rose? Parker looked at me, heaving. Rose looked up, eyes barely staying open, completely slumped. Let's get the feck out of here. End of chapter. Chapter 40. A single step was enough to say goodbye to the twilight sky. We wasted no time in leaving the sleepy wood, taking our rewards, items, and everything else before pushing through that prismatic portal. There was a subtle sense of displacement before the world reasserted itself. The constant buzz of insects, the humid warmth, and the new surroundings slid into clarity. It was a welcome change in atmosphere, better this than the feeling of constantly being watched. And even though I was ready for him, having seen him keeping watch through third, I found myself giving Jack a tight grin, Barker, Rickson, and Rose in tow. We all but collapsed, coming out, barely managing to stay on our feet. About time, he said, grinning. He took one look at us and was already moving, concern etched across his face. 
What happened? Serious injuries? We'll live. Parker gave a heavy smile, to which Rose and I hummed our agreement. None of us looked particularly well, which Jack immediately picked up on. Crap. Let's get you situated then, Jack said. You look like you've been through hell. We have, I replied, exhausted. From there, it wasn't long until we were escorted to the semi-permanent structures that were erected by Ralph and his people. Rose and Parker looked around in tired awe. It was amazing what people could do if given the motivation. They were actual buildings constructed of wood, insulated with an assortment of shrubbery and leaves. There was reserves for people amongst the survivors, even without skills. I was just as impressed the first time seeing it. We were shown to a large basin of water nearby these structures where we could rinse off the worst of the gore. Jack introduced us to a healer, a woman with the first aid skill, who treated for the worst of our injuries with surprised efficiency. Well, none of you should be doing anything strenuous for a few weeks, she was saying. Between the three of you, two concussions, two instances of fractured ribs, internal bruising, countless lacerations, cuts and scrapes, sleep deprivation and extreme fatigue. This sleepy wood looks like it took its namesake from you. Get some sleep. Shut-eye, the fastest road to recovery. She sighed and I picked up on her surface thoughts. So these are the ones Gary and Jack were talking about. I wonder what level they are. They look like they've been through it. Her eyes took in our injuries. Jack blinked at us. Ah, uh, I just trust it was worth it, he asked, staring at us. We all gave him tired smiles, faint but triumphant. That was enough for him. When it was time to finally rest, I tuned into that frequency of my mind, using telepathy as a gauge to sense anyone nearby. It was incredibly easy to swap myself out with no one the wiser, leaving a clone in my midst and slipping into the soul space that was Solo's Sanctuary. Solo's Sanctuary was just as I'd left it, tranquility born from glass and black marble, hints of green plants poking out from planters in the wall, soft lighting, modern, simplistic, and beautiful. A muted space, free of worry. I would have been tempted to retreat here, but things weren't so simple. As far as I was aware, I entered and exited the sanctuary in the exact same place. If I left the group to hide in the sanctuary, leaving my clones to them, then upon exiting, I'd be stranded. If one of those clones died, only my original self could renew him. That wasn't to mention the cushion I provided as another body, particularly one with a decent physical stance. More than that, though, the skill had been uh, recharging. I couldn't have stayed here long even if I wanted to, not for days at a time. It was a reprieve, not a solution but one which I gladly indulged. I stepped into the sanctuary from the front door. It felt the most natural, despite the sureness I could have materialized anywhere within the sanctuary. There, I made my way across the living room, through the bedroom, and into the bathroom. And finally, the shower. I undressed, tossing the filthy clothes into the shower floor, hanging my spider silk backpack on a hook nearby. It was the only thing I could think about ever since being doused in moonlight blood. A shower, a blessing amidst this hell. Skill Solo Sanctuary, a personal space tied to the soul from which one may enter or exit. The size, design, and amenities are directly reflected on one's travel, abilities, and inclination. The sanctuary may only be entered by the owner. I wondered what part of the skill afforded running water. This quality of life. Was it a certain level of louder bathroom here? or the fact that I simply really appreciated a nice shower. Nonetheless, 
I let the clear water wash the rest of the grime off, sloughing away like caked mud. I carefully undid my bandages, hesitant and curious. Blinking through the stream of hot water, I saw only healthy flesh, my skin clearer than before. The aches were fading now, the worst of my bruises dull pangs. The small lacerations and cuts gained from the raining debris or random shrubbery were long gone. The symbiote was effective, even now, but it took its toll. I was exhausted beyond belief. The shower calmed my mind, and I took the moment to glance at my stats, eyeing the haphazard distribution. Name Evan Winst, level 25. Title, Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Traits, Regenerator, Class Solo. Strength 20, Constitution 31, Dexterity 19, Agility 20, Perception 21, Intelligence 20 plus 5, Wisdom 27 plus 5, Willpower 29 plus 5, Charisma 14 plus 5, and Luck 14. Stat points 2. Skills, Never Alone, Low Profile, Silo's Instinct, Solo Sanctuary, and Telepathy. Somehow, I could trace where I placed everything. The 18 stat points I'd saved, they were all thrown into the physical stats. Four into strength, constitution, dexterity, and agility. Two into perception. It felt like a loss, but maybe that was the hoarder in me. An instinct I had even before the apocalypse. To hold on to what was valuable and precious, in case I'd ever lose it again. I'd done the math a while ago, allocating my stats for the purpose of never alone, resulting in linear growth in terms of stats. That was all well and good, if not for the limits of each individual clone which represented a unique dilemma. If the Twilight Elemental or Root Mother Hivemind, for example, were equated to a bear, then even a thousand ants would do little to harm it. That would be for the case of allocating my points towards my clones, countless copies of myself, though weak physically. On the other hand, striking a balance wherein I invest my physical stats would cut the number of clones, but make each individual stronger. Rather than a thousand ants, there is instead, be say, a hundred rats. It sounded better, initially. There was, obviously, more to consider for each side. Much more. I didn't think that there was a right answer, nor was there a wrong one. I recognized the benefits and demerits of both paths. My trailblazing vanquisher of the hive mind title gave me an incredible boost that helped me along both paths, which was a boon. It was a personal preference, but truthfully, I couldn't discount the utility of sheer numbers. I was a little bit disappointed that I hadn't gotten another solo class skill. I'd been holding out for another defining skill that might merit the allocation of stat points to a particular attribute, similar to Never Alone. I'd leveled twice from level 23 and gotten nothing but extra stat points. It didn't really matter anymore, though since I'd allocated just about everything I had saved up. I suppose I should be happy with just that if leveling worked the way that I thought it did. We killed an area boss, and I'd only leveled twice, which should be telling. My progress is bound to slow down. I can only imagine how much Parker, Rose, and Rickson did. I was too tired to think of more, and focused on the feeling of running water. Once I was done, I took the towel off the wall and dried off. Then, without ceremony, I found my way to my bed, low to the ground and cool. It wasn't far off to say I passed out as soon as I found its embrace. Sweet oblivion took me, my body spreading over the mattress. I woke up blissfully, taking in my sanctuary, closing my eyes and seeing the world outside as well. I spent the better part of a day resting in my sanctuary, poking at its limits, trying to understand the skill, resting. My clones couldn't access this place, 
Only my original self was granted that ability. Regardless of my clones of apparent abilities to use other skills, Sanctuary, however, was also as useful to stall things, something I discovered that made my Spider-Silk backpack obsolete. I'd been able to partially access it like some interdimensional inventory, and I'd shoved my rewards through. I stared at the scarce twilight chest. It glowed and burnished orange, a separate illumination entirely apart from the moonlight it emitted, glowing silver as well. It was ornate, as these odd chests were, that implied promise of valuables within. I had nudged it into my sanctuary without even thinking, so tired that I'd been. I sat on my couch, looking at it, in a plush carpet of my living room, along with everything else I'd reaped from the dungeon. Without further ado, I opened the last chest of the sleepy wood. I clicked open, and it was only a singular item resting on the silver silk, but somehow I could already sense the value of it, beyond anything I'd attained from staying a mere ifrit. Item, Hard Light Shelter. A consumable item that is instantly produces a semi-permanent structure made of solid moonlight. The resultant structure is affected by intelligence, constitution, and strength. The shelter takes shape as one wills it, but it will dissipate if not fueled with energy. I cocked my head to the silver disc. Well, that's not exactly what I was expecting, I said. I picked it up, feeding it rather a conspicuous button. Huh. Weird. Oddly, I'd been expecting something fantastical, but this was more technological. It looked like a piece of sci-fi themed around light. I hummed, trying to pass what I knew about the apocalypse. If magic was on the table, then was everything? I wasn't sure. I put the hard light shelter aside and considered the items I'd received from the sleepy wood. The twilight saber, twinkling metal on a lethal edge. The twilight wand, a beautifully carved wooden thing. A mana light potion that gave bonuses to mana regeneration and potency under the moonlight. A silk root sash, shroom shade seeds, and a slew of miscellaneous items that didn't serve a particular purpose to me. Certainly, though, I could use them to barter for things, or perhaps I could just hoard them. Not all of the rewards were combat-oriented, which was telling. Some were just useful, like the hard light shelter. Others weren't even that, like the shroom shade seeds, which, as far as I could tell, were just the seeds for some type of mushroom. But those weren't the only things I'd gotten. That book that Solo's instinct had alighted upon of moving symbols and slippery words. I took that out and glanced at it for as long as it took for my eyes to strain. There was something about the scratched into brain, a piece of alien literature. There were also the flowers, the silver petals that drank the moonlight sparkling with something of the stars. I considered them for a moment, wondering if the plants which had sprouted from the twilight elemental starlight blood had any uses. In the end, there really was no way to be certain. I shrugged replanting them into the wall of my sanctuary, accenting the greenery with pops of silver. They took easily to the shallower plants along the walls, a light mist spraying over them from the walls watering the greenery. I hummed, looking at the installation, then looking around the sanctuary. My life had drastically changed over the course of the last month. It was incredibly ironic that this sanctuary was nicer than my previous apartment. How exactly was this all possible? Even the kitchen had a working stove and fridge, regular electrical appliances as a result of an explicably foreign power. The strange and alien system, somehow all of us was in its power. The past month, it wasn't something I had time to really ponder, 
Nor did most people, I imagined. But if my entire reality was flipped upside down, the system was the only fundamental aspect of life that had changed, like the addition of another force of gravity. The system permeated everything. It was enough for me to be sure. Whatever the advent of this apocalypse meant, the system was at the core of it. Elsewhere, one of my clones looked up as a crowd of people approached the dungeon entrance. End of chapter. Chapter 41. A crowd had formed as people elbowed their way forward, pushing and shoving to get a better view. I took my place amongst the crowd, watching from different vantages. A group of armed men, swords, clubs, and other crude weaponry in hand. A large man with scarred arms climbed above the roots, staring down at the masses as his group shouldered and suppressed the crowd. His eyes were dark, and his face was just as scarred. A jagged smile. Welcome to the apocalypse, he boomed, his voice carrying farther than it should have. Starting today, anyone who wants to enter the Sleepywood does so only with my permission. Cries of outrage, scoffs, and grumbling. A man was beaten down, and the speaker stared down at the quieted man. It is not too late to join my group. If you have been approached before, I'll give you the rest of the day to come groveling back. I'm going to be the one to lead you all out of this dark days. With the rewards we get from this dungeon, Root Haven will be a shining beacon for other survivors, he smiled, a crazed glint in his eyes. If you're with me. Someone pushed through the crowd near one of my clothes. What's happening? I pulled my cloak down, recognizing him. Some crazy is claiming the dungeon. One of my clones said, eyeing the speaker. The man turned, blinking at me. Evan? I gave a small smile. Hey, Gary. Good to see you again. I nodded at the familiar face. Any idea who this is? I've got an idea myself, but I've never actually seen him. Gary took a moment to gather himself, but then grumbled, focusing on the man speaking. That's Blitz, no doubt. He's been giving everyone here a hard time. He confirmed my suspicions. His group was supposed to be sent out and leave. I thought we'd only have to endure their crap for a while longer before they did. Turns out, they liked what they saw here. Slimy bastard, I said, staring up at the man. They've been shaking everyone down for food and other essentials, Gary explained, though I was already aware of some of the stuff going on around the camps. They were also borrowing some of the buildings Rudy's people had built and confiscating useful items like water flasks, amongst other things. Not exceedingly violent, but that didn't make him an angel. His presence was a constant threat to anyone's safety. Hey, what gives you the right? A man in the crowd yelled. We should be able to do what we want. Why the hell are you suddenly controlling the dungeon? That's bull. He choked as one of Blitz's men grabbed him by the throat. What are you doing? A handful of people went to help, but they were pushed down by what was apparently decently leveled thugs, and actual thugs, if my guesses were right. I recognized strength beyond the mundane at work. This, Blitz grinned, gives me the right, and if anyone has any problems, they can gladly take it up with my men, he smiled. Damn bastards, someone cursed nearby. I know a couple of people who got some pretty useful stuff from there. It's a treasure trove, I've heard, if you're willing to risk it, another whisper. I heard a group got just got back, apparently. It looked like they came with some items. And he's just taking over. Well, 
What do you want us to do? We're not in a position to argue with him. All these people have high levels. I'm only level four, another said. Gary looked around, sighing. He took to standing next to me fairly easily, and he whispered something, as Blitz was apparently done talking. General sentiment, he spoke evenly, my level of perception easily catching the words, gazing across the crowd towards Blitz. He crossed his arm. Most people think it's unfair. He answered my questioning eyebrow. Some kind of social skill, I cocked my head, listening to the thoughts of the crowd from multiple clones. Obviously, I replied. The sleepy wood might be these people's way of becoming strong enough to protect themselves. Gary grimaced. That's the other thing. It's certainly unfair, but Blitz and his thugs have also demonstrated their strength. They've already been fending off those goblins and wolves poking at the edges of the clearing. A couple of other creatures, too. They think throwing their support behind them means protection, I said after a moment, following his logic. Exactly. They're all high level, Gary nodded, then looked back at me, reconsidering. Relatively high level, that is. With everything going on around the clearing, especially the field boss so fresh in everyone's mind, no one knows what to expect from the swamp, let alone the rest of the world. I sigh as three other versions of me relaxed their weapons, more than those in the crowd. They were others hanging around the roots, even behind Blitz. A couple watched the entire procession. Blitz wasn't exactly the ideal outcome, but he wasn't the worst person that could have appeared. Besides that, injuring him, let alone in front of so many people, wasn't conducive to assuaging anyone's fears. Gary looked at me. We'll handle it, he said. These people won't take the sitting down. Everyone's already realized the importance of the dungeon. A couple of groups have already been showing off their rewards, not to mention their levels. I wasn't planning on doing anything anyway, I shrugged. So long as people can take care of themselves, it's really not my problem. Now, if we was going to get around killing people, that'd be different. Didn't say you were, Gary said simply, watching Blitz step down. I followed his gaze, watching the man. A couple of my clones were close enough to listen in on his thoughts, near the front of the crowd. There, they were jostling as wilder, then shouting louder, but my mind could pierce it all to skim the surface of the man's thoughts. He faced everyone without a trace of fear, smiling and smug. There was a depth in his eyes, though, as he looked over everyone. We need to be stronger than this, stronger than these weaklings. Look at them, too scared to step away from the crowd, cowed by a mere man. There are things worse than me that walk our world now. I watched him go, unable to disagree. End of chapter. Chapter 42 on the outskirts of Rootaven, where the meager illusion of civilization faded and the swamp seeped, I perched above the canopy meant for birds larger than humans. Moss on every branch such that any wrong step could be fatal. Fatal. For a regular climber, that was. My clone was one of many scouting the area and eyeing the wildlife. By now, all my clones save for the unreachable were renewed. First were still with the group from the library, vying for the end of the swamp. I checked in on him on occasion, watching through my own eyes even as the journey I might make myself in truth. In the meantime, I did my best to catalogue the wildlife and, more importantly, the dangers of the apocalyptic swamp. As Gary had said before, the most dangerous thing to roam the place was probably burnt to a crisp, but that didn't mean that the swamp was any less hazardous. 
One, those not quite wolves could kill just as easily as a root mother mind control. I ducked as a large insect buzzed around my head, swatting it away. Somehow, the bugs were the worst annoyance. My increased constitution came with an improved ability to regulate temperature. Normally, I'd be sweating right now, but with the influx of stats, along with the symbiote, the humidity and heat were only a small nuisance. The bugs, however. My clone was amongst three others in this particular scouting party, crouching low in the branches above, observing a group of goblins from three different vantages. A wooden bow with string made of spider silk in each of their hands, and a dozen bows to each quiver. The breeze shifted, arrows pulled against bowstring, and I sighted, and... Can't have them do this, a man. One of them had recently returned from the sleeperwood, albeit for only a day, was complaining amongst a gathering of people who'd actually dealt the dungeon. It's a huge natural resource, Gary said. Blitz won't be able to hold control of it, not with too many of us complaining about it. We've managed to gather a number of useful items from it, said a person, wearing what looked like a leather caress. If Blitz controls it, his power will cement. Then we overthrow him. Easy another person said. And risk bloodshed? Then why the hell not? I've already seen people die. That dungeon, I swear, it spawned as a result of the field boss dying. It has to be our key to survival. His voice elicited a chorus of agreement. I've got a new skill too, shove off man. They're higher level, which means they have more stats. They're stronger, faster. We can't just fight them without risk. We already have the swamp creatures to worry about. I sat towards the back, higher up on the roots. The meeting took place between two of the larger ones, gnarled and branching enough that they formed the lightness of a tiered seating. It was true, Blitz and his gang now was a little inconvenient. The death of the field boss, the root mother hive mind, beat up this entire clearing. The clever monsters of the swamp had been avoiding this place at first. Now they were creeping back in, the swamp reclaiming parts of itself lost to the boss. Even the ruins of the skyscraper were already covered with vines, lichen, and moss. The few campfires of the does unbothered by the charred remains of the hive mind around it. The argument droned on, and, weirdly, I found myself unfocused, or rather, focused entirely on another perspective, the feeling of freedom, exploration, and roaming. I never felt so unchained in my life, despite what these thugs were doing. Was it really my problem? The answer was easy enough. I had already planned to leave the swamp. The dungeon had been a detour, and it still is, considering the rewards it could give me. But the end goal? What was it all out there? In my sanctuary, I lounged comfortably, rays of sunlight shining through the windows, lying on my couch. The moonlight flowers bloomed silver, almost perking up at the sun. I gathered that they liked the shade, though, which made the sense given their origins so they were sheltered from direct sunlight. But those small trophies weren't my focus, though. I was paging through the book. The only thing I'd pilfered from those ruins in the Twilight Elemental was protecting. The one thing the aspect of Solo's instinct having to do with opportunity had reacted to so far. Not an item at all, just a mundane book. Mundane as far as the system was concerned, that was. To my senses, it was like a beacon if I focused. To the naked eye, it seemed unobtrusive and unassuming, but the longer I stared, the more I could almost imagine the symbols moving, speaking without sound, dancing in my senses as if to spell out. I blinked gently, shutting the book and looking around. 
My inner paranoid self darted to the description in my title. Title, Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Few possess the capacity to challenge insurmountable odds as you do. You are the first in the world to defeat any field boss and the first in the world to do so alone. In defeating the Root Mother Hivemind, under these circumstances, you are forever distinguished by your feet. All attributes are increased by 10. You gain telepathy skill. You're immune to external influences upon your will. I confirmed that last effect and glanced back down at the book. What exactly are you? I said slowly, trying to remember the room I'd found it in. The memory came easy, likely an effect of my enhanced mental attributes. It had been some kind of study, a storeroom of academic objects, oddities, and peculiarities. Literature, mostly. But this book, among all the scrolls, containers, diagrams, and all else, stood out the most to me. And the moment we had left the ruins, the Twilight Elemental had killed my clothes. Just a flash of moonlight. That was all I could remember before we were being chased. Did me leaving the ruins with something trigger the area, boss? I asked myself. The timing fitted. I doubt it was the book in particular. I sighed, opening it once more. This time I welcomed the dancing symbols. Symbols that seemed to dance in my mind's eye, crawl across the page, and wrap around the iris. Symbols that curled around the ears, flooded the nose, and caressed the skin. Symbols that spoke to each sense and told me of... My eyes widened as I was suddenly reading. The symbols no longer danced. They took shape instead, formed images, sound, sense, and touch filtering at a speed of my own thoughts and comprehension. They flattered fast, moving on between concepts, taking full use of my mental capacity. And three things happened. First, there was a feeling. A new one beyond the solar's instinct, like a spark of electricity, a rush of energy from the very being. Then, it faded before I could even grasp it. My attention was the way to more important matters. Second, came from the perspective of my clones, I stood upon the branches, familiar poachers by now, and spotted what was perhaps the largest gathering of goblins I'd yet seen. The noise and din of their being was enough to drown out the buzz of insects, replacing it with chatter and gibberish. There were easily hundreds of them crawling across the roots, hooting at each other, brandishing weapons, and stripping the swamp. I stared, recalling the increased patrols. That's why I was seeing more of them. Forward scouts. There's a whole tribe. Were they reclaiming the area lost to the field boss? And lastly, an ember of hope that humanity was not yet lost. Build noticed. Gerard Malo has achieved a feat worthy of global recognition. He is the first to establish a settlement, Skyward, and the first to settle the floating island of Alau. I blinked as the meeting quieted. Murmurs are all around, the argument stilled. I cocked my head, and the question I had was in everyone else's thoughts. It took only moments for someone to voice it. What's a settlement? And when he asked it, the word had the ring of the system about it. End of chapter. Chapter 43. Mild notice, Gerard Malot has achieved a feat worthy of global recognition. He's the first to establish a settlement, Skyward, and the first to settle the floating island of Alau. The magic from the book that sparked off energy faded like a sugar dissolving into water, lost to all my senses, despite how I grasped for it. I tried to reignite the feeling to no effect. Other things took precedence. The world noticed for one. It was strange seeing it from this perspective, like everyone heard something or noticed a detail, not enough to pause or lose focus, 
but enough that anyone looking would have seen an expression across someone's face, a raised brow, a low whistle, an open mouth, as if the same thought had struck dozens of people at once. What is a settlement? someone asked, cocking their head and speaking over the mutters. It has to be related to the system, another voice called. It's got that ring to it. Maybe it's something like a skill or item from the dungeon. There's got to be some significance to it. You think there might be bonuses for Roothaven if we can figure out how to establish one? Jack nudged me. I shrugged. You know as much as I do. I raised the brow. I sighed. But it looks that way. There might be something to that, so long as people figure out what to do with Blitz. The floating island of Alau, Jack said, contemplative. Down below Gary was arguing with some of the key people in Roothaven, Ralph amongst them, on how to proceed. There were other key figures, some men who took it upon themselves to hunt out in the swamp a collection of people with healing abilities, a number of individuals suited to acting as sentries and more. I listened with all my full attention, although I doubted anything would truly interest me. Full attention, meaning just about one-ninth of my attention, as it related to my clothes. Skyward. I had to admit the name was better than Roothaven and these floating islands sounded like a much better place to experience the apocalypse than the damp and humid swamp we found ourselves in. The world notice served to remind me of how small I was. There was nothing familiar anymore, and I couldn't tell whether our world was spliced with some other one, or the whole of it had been irrevocably changed. I could see it on their faces, hear it in their thoughts, that same uncertainty, that feeling of insignificance. Floating islands, what the hell is that supposed to be? I heard the thought that followed Jack's gaze through the swamp's canopy, upward towards the sky. Only the distant shrieks of birds larger than us answered our gaze. For a moment, the smallness dominated the conversation, guiding the meeting's thoughts, until it didn't. Someone did it, another consciousness. There are people out there, struggling, fighting, and living. And with that single thought, something else was sparked. There are other people out there, someone cut in. There are people out there besides us. That person caught a few surprise cases. Someone chuckled. Gary, might it be hope for us yet, he said. I suppressed a small smile, turning the notice over in my head. That was the other perspective to consider. The world notice didn't speak to our insignificance. It spoke to humanity's determination to survive. Somewhere out there, people found success. If there was at least one other group of survivors out there, I could count on more. The whole world saw that message. This is how people felt when they saw my achievement, I wondered suddenly. A candle of hope against the storm of the apocalypse. I hadn't been thinking of it like that, only as another quirk of the system. Those simple words broadcasted to the entirety of the world was symbolic of something much greater. The tenacity of humanity. When I'd killed the root mother, were the effects the same? What was that? Jack asked me, curious. Nothing, I smiled. Blitz wasn't my problem. I was fairly certain I could find my way into the dungeon if I wanted to, regardless of any thug stationed there. No, that was a problem for people who planned to stay here in Roothaven. Besides, thugs were the least of anyone's worries. They hadn't noticed yet, but Roothaven did have dedicated patrols. I'd run into them before, though keeping out of sight. My physical stats allowed me to traverse the terrain easier than anyone should have had the right to, barring some specialized skills like Rickson's terrain traversal. Elsewhere, I beheld a horde, and dangers of the swamp had been relatively muted since the death of the field boss. 
that could have stemmed from the territory itself garnering a reputation from the local wildlife, or something else entirely. Either way, it had just been calm before the storm. Of course, there had been cases of people mauled, all shot with arrows, messy wounds from wolves and goblins, people bedridden from eating the wrong thing, or incapacitated from touching something poisonous. The swamp wasn't exactly safe. It never was. This was different. I held my arrow silently, palm against the tree trunk, far above the perception of any of these monsters. They were twisted caricatures of humanoid, green, brown, and mottled colors of the swamp itself. Their faces were ugly, and their beady eyes held a certain maliciousness, a horrible glee I'd witnessed firsthand. My fingers itched at my arrows upon seeing them. I glanced up, looking across the canopy, relying on that uncanny awareness of myself, and found another of my clones doing the same. I hated goblins. Another of me was scouring the branches, traveling alongside the horde. These particular clones were already a day's travel from Roothaven. The hordes itself, it was on a direct course for the ramshackle gathering of survivors. Eventually, the small groups of pairs of goblins people had been reporting were scouts. I grimaced, images of the dead floating to the fore. Roothaven wasn't yet the haven people like Gary wanted it to be. Even Ralph and the rest of the craft-savvy people could only do so much in the way of real shelter. People died. As some people have adapted, most were still trying to ignore it, and others were burying the bodies. Maybe establishing a settlement might do something, I muttered, to help against this. Another me watched one Roothaven patrol, a cobbled-together trio of survivors with skills suited to the wilderness. They wore some of Ralph's cloaks and were equipped with items from the dungeon. I saw them hear the horde before they glimpsed it. One of them cocked their head, and all three went silent before cresting a root and glancing down at the front of what I'd been monitoring. They went pale white and quickly scrambled away, conversing amongst themselves before darting towards Roothaven. I could have relayed the same information instantly, but there'd be too many questions. I glanced at the trio again. They were moving fast enough. The horde, in comparison, was taking its time. Goblins, evidently, were not the most organized. They were tripping and falling over each other, picking fights between groups I couldn't distinguish, and generally getting in enough commotion to stall their march. Besides, there's something I need to test. Skill. Telepathy. The capacity to perceive and interact with the mind, consciousness, and thoughts of both oneself and others, to sense, communicate, and influence other thinking entities. The reason I'd found the damn horde in the first place was the absolute mess of conscious thought emanating from it. Not that I wouldn't have found it otherwise. Like the actual noise, their mental state was a constant buzz, with waves and peaks of emotion like anger, hunger, annoyance, anticipation, and more. As much as I'd like to explore whatever energy that book that sparked within me, I had a skill I've already neglected experimenting on with too long. There has always had been a little caveat in the description. This was a skill granted alongside the Root Mother's hive mind's demise, the one that was the intrinsic part of the trailblazing vanquisher of the hive mind title, and connotating the skill that had to field boss's mind control wasn't a big of a logical leap. I'd steered away from people, feeling it wrong to dabble in the minds of others, but these, these things didn't hesitate to take someone's eye, didn't hesitate to plunge their clawed hand into someone's eye socket and yank. I pressed a palm to my eye and stared downward. Good prey! Good prey! Kill our food! 
The tide of thought washed over me, practiced among the survivors and the increasing mental attributes helped me to stand my mental ground. They didn't come in words that I knew, instead, the context, the emotion, and the flashes of the images allowed me to inscribe insight. Through it all, I picked up the thoughts of a single goblin, a larger specimen that parted the goblin crowd like it was natural. I couldn't tell if the goblin itself was any different, or just had the size. The jostling didn't seem to bother it, although it wasn't shy to stomp on any of its kin that annoyed it. We'll kill flesh things, yummy goblin nuts, pink, red, food, big. Its thoughts just about matched its ugly mug, and its internal perspective of what a human was, was not exactly inspiring. In two other places, my clones found their own targets, picking through their thoughts. I dived into myself, drawing on that ice-cold flame deep within, that frozen fire that I used to contain the earliest days of the apocalypse. The science building, Horus, the goblins, the spider. It was anger, hate, and hopelessness. An emotion that bubbled up from the abyss and made one lash out, unable to reconcile it. I breathed, mastering it as I always did. Hate, anger, hopelessness. That bundle of emotion, that seared blade of memory, I opened my eyes and found the goblin's mental frequency, piggybacked the emotions that lined up, hijacked its reasoning, and stabbed it. And I felt its mind, defenseless, vulnerable, resisting, twisting, a natural confusion that tried to reconcile a foreign influence. I felt like the root mother hive mind, as it had when it had planted itself into one of my clothes, invading my mind. Only now, the goblin was me. A blanket of disgust covered me, a breach of my morality. But then I stared at the creatures below, heard the thoughts of the horde, and allowed the apocalypse to win once more. I paused, watching the goblin jerk in place. I suddenly confused, then destroyed whatever semblance of logic it still held on to. Rage! I whispered, voice hard. And the goblin, larger than the rest, howled. Its eyes burned with a sudden fervor, a light with the bloodlust I recognized. Immediately, the surrounding goblins scattered, screaming, and it grabbed one of its kind by the throat, an unlucky runt, and smashed him into the ground before throwing its body at the rest. Another howl, and it come from another point in the horde. Another. I sat above, a ghost and a spectre, a hovering wraith haunting the minds of the living. I stared down at the chaos below, the scattering of small sections of the horde, the traffic, the bloodshed, the bloodlust, that was spreading. In those small sections, absolute carnage. So this is the result of the world-worthy achievement of defeating a field boss solo, I said to myself. With a grimace, I followed the horde, experimenting. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank our tier 5 patrons and channel members. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, It's Difficult to Pronounce, Lord Azrakal, Dragzoon, WRE, and Arcadian. Thank you very much.